the grave could not hold our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That Lord, on the third day, he arose from the grave by the power of your Holy Spirit. He came forth from the grave, O Lord, to declare himself Lord of Lord and King of Kings. He is the one to whom we look because he is life unto us. And Lord, oftentimes we miss that, that Jesus Christ is our life. As Paul says, it's no longer I that live, but Christ in me. May that be so in every one of our lives, that it is Christ living in us, that it is Christ performing the ministry through us. It is Christ giving himself to his church. It is Christ doing his work through each and every one of us who name the name of Jesus. And Father, we pray that, Lord, as we look into your word today, that, Lord, you would somehow take the word off the pages and write them on our heart. That, Lord, as we look at your word, that your Holy Spirit would minister to us and speak to us and captivate us with what you have to say to us. And, Lord, may your word truly be that living word of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May it cut us, but may it heal us. May it establish our going out and our coming in. May it establish our standing. May it establish our reputation. May we be what your word says we should be. And may we not be fearful to live out your word. To be as James says, not to only be a hearer of it, but to put it into everyday practice. To be a doer of it. Would you strengthen us, Lord, that we might live out your word and that Jesus might be glorified? And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, the Holy Spirit. How many of you guys like fake things? Things that are not genuine. Uh, fake Things that are phony, but they're not really real. In the church, we do have fake Christians. Uh, we have people who fake things and, and they want to be more than what they are rather than just accepting who they are and allowing God to take them to a higher plane. The Holy Spirit is the stamp of authenticity. It's the Holy Spirit that seals us and is that stamp that says we're genuine. We really are a people of God. We are a people after God's heart. We are a people who really love the Lord. Now, 
the question is simply this. How do you know if you have the real thing? How do you know if you have the real thing? How do you know what you believe is really right? How do you know that? Who are you to tell a Muslim they don't believe in the real God? Who are you to tell somebody else you're not believing right? Or believing the way God would have you to believe? And how do you really know if you are really believing the real thing? We look for stamps or seals that says, this is genuine, this is the real thing. Elaine, when she was going down to get her new driver's license, we had to go back home and get her birth certificate. Uh, marriage certificate. She has to have the marriage certificate. I don't. Because her name changed. So we had to bring the marriage Couldn't bring a copy. We had to bring the real things. Because they wanted to fill the seal or see the seal on it. And the whole thing is that too often it's very difficult to say that's a real Christian. That's a real Christian. Because what you're looking for is that stamp and that seal that is on that person's life. That says it's genuine. They're real. They're not fake. We can get things that are counterfeit. Artificial. Do you want the real Coke? Do you want the real thing? That fake ginger ale, it don't really work. But that real ginger ale, it brings something up and out. We get a lot of made-up Christians. Now, if you made up your mind that you're going to be a Christian... And you're going to make changes in your life? You just allow Satan to deceive you because you can't do it. You may put on a religious facade and you may, may be known as a religious person, but to show forth Christian qualities takes a real Christ living in you. And we have a lot of pretenders. And not the real thing in church life. In 2 Timothy 2.19, he tells us a little something. And it reassures us that God knows those that are his. God knows. He says in that verse 19, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed, sealed with this inscription. 
The Lord knows those who are his. He doesn't tell us what the inscription really is. But that inscription allows us to, others to know. But you really understand God. God knows everything. He knows, so he, he knows his. He knows every one of us that is truly his child. Now understand this. Demons don't know. Angels don't know. The spiritual world doesn't know. So God puts a stamp on you so they can know. So they can know. God didn't need the seal. God doesn't need the stamp. Because God knows. But principalities and demons and rulers in high places, they need to understand this is stamped, this is real, this is really a child of God. And that's the main purpose of that seal is that this spiritual world that we don't see. Remember last week I told you, Holy Spirit don't have a body. So we don't see it. But every demon, every angel recognizes the Holy Spirit. <laughs> He's not new to them. King James says that God standeth sure having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. The Lord just knows. He knows. So he didn't need the seal. But the seal is for others. The seal is for others. Elaine and I, we know that we're married. But our marriage certificate is for the proof of others. that we can show it to them that we're married. We're husband and wife. You don't have to take our word. Here's the paper. We know it. Here's the paper. And that paper says you have certain rights then because we're married. There's certain rights I have as a husband. There's certain rights she has as a wife. And we have the document to prove it. And it allows the angels and all the others to know we are the Lord's. We belong to the Lord. We belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians 1. It says... By the seal, a Christian life is stamped. By the seal, a Christian has stamped on his life that he belongs to God. He's the property of God. He's the possession of God. 
Remember, oftentimes I share with you, when you become a Christian, you are no longer your responsibility, you are God's responsibility. Because you become his. The moment you go out and purchase a car, who becomes responsible for that car? Who's responsible to put insurance on it? Who's responsible to keep it clean or waxed or keep it from rusting? Who's responsible to put the gas in it? Who's responsible to get it fixed? When my son was ready to get married, I asked him one question. How much money do you have saved? Didn't have very little. I said, Gus, you don't want to get married until you have 10000 because I'm not going to pay the rent and I wouldn't have you go ask her dad to pay the rent. You want to make sure if something happens with your little job that you have resources enough to cover and take care of her. So when you have saved $10,000, then we're ready for marriage or close to it. When you take on things and you purchase things, you take on the responsibility of it. When you buy a home, you take on the responsibility of it. Now, some people do a poor job of it. Some people don't cut their grass. Some people park their cars in front and tear up what little grass they have because they haven't learned how to be what? Responsible. But those who have learned how to be responsible, they take care of their home. They, they understand the equity issue of a home and what's in a home. They understand the value of a home. And therefore, they become responsible for the home. They don't go to the home and say, take care of yourself. And because we are the children of God, He seals us, and he takes responsibility of us. He takes responsibility of us. In 2 Corinthians 1, verses 21 through 22, he says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm. Who makes us stand firm? God. No matter what comes against us, what Satan brings against us, because we are his, God makes us where we're able to stand firm. Take note of something. In Ephesians 6, when he talks about the armor, he puts all the armor here in front. There's no armor on the back side. So when you take off running from a fight with Satan or demons, you're wide open to get hit in the back. But in the front, he said, after you've done all that, all you can do is stand, but you stand trusting the armor that he has given you to put on. And you're, you're facing your enemy. You're facing your problems. You're facing the things of life that comes against you. And he said, if you've done all else, just stand. He didn't say turn and run. He said, stand. And it says, it's God who causes us to stand. He's the one who allows us to stand and face our problems, our enemies, our troubles. Now, it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us 
setting his seal of what? Ownership. 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 He owns you. If you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, he owns you. If he owns you, he's responsible for you. That's why he says, boy, look at the lilies of the field. Look at the birds. Look at those things. They're all taken care of. Sometimes I tell my wife, I should be out there with the water hose for what water costs today? The sewage bill? I said, that's God's grass. Let God water it. He'll water it in his own time. And the whole process is that God takes on his responsibility. If you are his, he fights your battles. If you are his, you get behind his shield. If you are his, understand the battle is not yours. It's his. And he wants to show himself faithful to you. In fighting your battles. He wants to show himself faithful to you. That you really are his. In opening doors for you. And taking places. You places where you never thought you would get to. God wants to do so much in our lives. Our biggest problem is yielding to him. And obeying him. Remember what I said to you a couple weeks ago? Believing is one part. But obeying is the other. A lot of people believe, but they don't what? They don't obey. They don't obey. And if you say that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not just believing, it's obeying also. And that's the tough part. That's the tough part, obeying him. And, and he moves on there, and he says, he says, his seal of ownership on us and puts his spirit in our hearts. He puts his spirit in us. And that's the seal. That's what is recognizable by that spiritual world. That the Holy Spirit dwells here. And that spiritual world sees that. That the Holy Spirit dwells in me and that I belong to God. Now, you and I, we can't see the Spirit dwelling in each other. What we hope to see is the attributes of the Spirit in our lives. What we're hoping to see is that the Spirit himself is changing us. That's a permanent change, not a temporary change. That it is the Holy Spirit that's in us that begins to change our language, begins to change our thoughts, begin to bring a gentleness upon us rather than a roughness. It's the Holy Spirit who begins to teach us how to trust God and to step out in faith, believing him, that he's more than able. But i got to learn those things. And he's teaching me. And people can begin to see me being taught by the Holy Spirit, by how I live. And it's not so much me trying to gather for me or me doing for me, but it is God doing it. And somehow God makes these things come to pass in our life. 
that he says he's given us the Holy Spirit. Now, he uses another word up there also, guaranteeing the inheritance to come. Or some old King James used to have it, earnest money. How many of you still recognize the word earnest money? <laughs> yeah. It was what you, what they asked for when you was trying to sign a contract on a home. Uh, are you going to put down some earnest money or you were trying to put a down payment on a car? It wasn't called down payment. It was called earnest money. And you put that up front, guaranteeing that you're going to make all the other payments and so forth. And that you actually were going to purchase this thing. See, uh, see what we don't understand, we're like in layaway. You've been put in for redemption. The down payment's been made, the Holy Spirit. But you're not totally redeemed yet. You're still in the presence of sin. Still dealing with sin. But one day, you will be totally redeemed and totally removed from the very presence of sin. But right now, we're living in the layaway stage. We're waiting for the owner, in a sense, to pick up his possession. He's then put his down payment down in the person of the Holy Spirit who seals us. But one day he's going to come and receive me unto himself. And he's going to take me home with him. Just like you do a layaway. You go get it one day and take it home with you. And he says, he's given you this guarantee. Set his seal of ownership on us. And put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. How authentic is that? Some years ago, I was buying a used Lincoln. Right down there where the Kia dealer was at on Market Street right there. And I had put my earnest money down for that Lincoln. I had signed the papers for it. Okay. Only thing I'm waiting for is, hey, I got the car. And the guy, I called him after three days. I said, I'm quite sure by now the loan went through and so forth. Can you tell me what's going on? Oh, uh, we have the car in the shop. We have to work on it. Okay. You go ahead and work on it. Gave a little bit more time, a couple of days. I called back. Did they finish the work yet on the car? No. We, we don't really want to sell you that car because it's so messed up. I said, well, I... I appreciate that, and you wouldn't want to sell me something that's all messed up. I had just dropped my wife off at the Haven of Rest, and right around the corner from the Haven of Rest, 
is this uh, VFW club that sits up on the little hill where a house is at. Some of you know where it's at. See, I saw my car parked in the street there. <laughs> With 30-day tags. I don't frequent bars too often, but I parked my used car behind it, went on up into the bar, and uh, I just leaned on the bar and I asked the bartender, do you know who owns that maroon-colored Lincoln outside with the 30-day tax? A guy just a couple seats down or something down. He said, I do. I said, when did you buy it? He said, I just got it about two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And I still had my papers, so I showed him my papers. I, I, I said, would you do me a favor? Would you write down your name for me, your phone number, and the date you bought this car? And I went back to the Lincoln dealer. And I went in to the salesperson, and, and I said, sir, I'm here to pick up the car. I'm, I'm here to, well, we told you we really didn't want to sell you that car. I said, no, you don't want to sell it to me because you already sold it to somebody else for a higher price than what we agreed to. And he said, wait a minute. I got to go get my manager. Wait a minute. The manager came over to me. I guess he already knew what we were going to do. We were going to go to court. And he said, Mr. Brown, those first three rows, go out there and pick out any Lincoln you want. <laughs> I said, what? Go out there and pick out any Lincoln you want, even though it may cost more. We'll, we'll take care of that. Boy, I went out there and got me a bunch of <laughs> little newer. <laughs> you know, you don't get an everyday chance to take advantage of something. <laughs> But see, I had given my earnest money and had signed the papers. God has given his earnest money. And his seal is on your life. You're his. You're his possession. You're his responsibility. And he has the responsibility of teaching you and growing you up. And he will do that. And he will do that. And it's for the purpose of the inheritance that is yet to come, guaranteeing what is to come. I could have never explained or express the type of Christian life and what God has done in Elaine and Gus Brown's life, all the richness of what God has done, what he has made possible. When our kids were in school, and boy, at the finance department one day, Faith was having a rough time. And I got up there with the lady. And finally, boy, I just went up to Jerry Farwell, met him in his office, told him what my situation was and so forth. And Jerry just wrote me a, a nice little letter. He put it in an envelope, told me to go take it. What was the lady's name? Miss Tum? And, and, and take it to her. She opened that thing up. She read that thing. And she said, Pastor Brown, we'll take care of it. We'll, we'll, we'll do whatever needs. And, and Faith didn't have no more problem. But the whole process, do you believe 
God can take care of you. Because, see, part of that is this, putting yourself into his hands and trusting him. Trusting him to make things work for you. Now, you and I don't see the spirit. However, all the angels, all the demons that come against us, they see them. You know the question that they're asking? Will you yield to the Holy Spirit? Will you follow the leading of the Spirit? See, where demons attack us and where Satan attack us is in our disobedience. It's in our disobedience. All of our failures in life come in our disobedience. In our disobedience. And if you understand what 1 John 4, 4 is saying, he says, greater is he that is in where? In you. But do you believe that? Then he that is in what? The world. You have a greater person in you than that problem that you're facing or that person who's against you or this thing that is hurting you or this thing that is stopping you. You have something far greater in you. The question is, will you trust? Will you follow him? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. Go over to Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14. Why don't you go step by step with me with it? And the whole process is to understand this is God doing the work. So in Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, this is what he says. And you also were included in Christ. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is deposit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions to the praise of his glory. Number one, you were included because God meant for every person to hear his gospel. You were included to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God wanted you to hear it. Why? Faith cometh by what? By hearing and the hearing of the word. People who don't hear the word They talk about they have faith until they need to use faith, but they have nothing then for them to stand on to exercise that faith. So we put another word in there. If I'm lucky, luck don't work. No such thing as luck. But faith is a reality. Faith is real. And faith is something you can stand on no matter what things might look like. 
And if you will believe, and trust God. He will save you to the uttermost. And he says, he wants you to hear. Hear what? The message. To hear the gospel. The gospel of what? The gospel of salvation. He wanted you to hear. What did the person hear? The gospel of their salvation. The gospel of their salvation. Because faith cometh by hearing. But if you're not hearing it, most likely you're not going to respond to it. But because you hear it, he says, having believed. That's an after fact. After you have heard. After you've heard this gospel. After you believe. He says, you were marked. You were not marked prior to. You were only marked after you believed. Elaine and I didn't get a marriage certificate just because we were dating. We didn't get a marriage certificate just because we were fond of each other. We got a marriage certificate based on the fact that we said, I do. I do. And we were able to receive a marriage certificate. You received the seal of the Holy Spirit after you have heard the gospel and believed your response, the gospel. The gospel of your salvation. Or that which you responded to. And God says, because you responded, I seal you, I mark you, you are my possession. You are mine. He moves on, he says, why? Because again, as we talked about, he is that deposit, he's that earnest money, he's that down payment of what is yet to come. I'm not in heaven yet. But I sure do know where I'm going. Do you? Are you confident you're going? Are you hoping you're going? There's a big difference. I'm confident. Why? Because I know in whom I have believed. The Lord Jesus Christ. I know who I believe. The Lord Jesus Christ. And that gives me the confidence then to step out trusting him. And he says, because I believe, I am sealed. I believe because I heard his message, responded to his message. And he sealed me with his Holy Spirit. We are, again, like that thing in layaway, waiting to be picked up. And that's what's taking place here. We're waiting to be picked up. Who is a deposit. You don't put nothing in layaway without a what? You got to put a deposit. That shows your sincerity of it. And it secures it for you. You ever watch how much tape they put around that bag or the staples they put in that bag? What they're saying to you in your presence 
This is yours now. It's on the shelf, but it's yours. When you complete, what the deal is that you have paid it all now. And he says, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, until we are totally redeemed. And I am God's possession. And that Holy Spirit is that down payment, that earnest money that says yes. Now, in Ephesians 4.30, he goes a little further. He says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were, what? Sealed or marked. Now, you can grieve him. You can quench him. You're still sealed. You're still marked. How do we know that? Those Corinthians and their carnality were still sealed and marked. Though they were acting worldly, they were still sealed and marked. They're in their growing process. And some of us are in our growing process. But we ought to be seeing a change because if any person be in Christ, they are a new creature. Old things are what? Passing away. Behold, all things are becoming new. What I used to do, I no longer do. I'm putting it off. I'm putting it off. I'm putting it off. I'm putting it off. I'm changing my way of thinking, the way I see things. My vision has changed. My outlook on life is different now. And he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of what? Redemption. That total redemption isn't here yet, but it's coming. And I'm guaranteed that I will be completely redeemed by God. Now in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he tells us to exercise something, to do a little something. Uh, run over there with me real quick. And uh, because he tells us in that 13, he says, examine yourself. He didn't say look at your neighbor. He didn't say look at somebody else. This guy the other day, I was out in the diner I was looking for the courthouse. Uh, had to be there by a certain time and so forth. And, and um, I'm in this parking lot and I'm asking, where's the courthouse? And he said, you want to go to that blanky blank place? And then <laughs> there's something else, blankety blank. And everything was, was, was profanity. But guess what took place at the end? When we said bye, God bless you. <laughs> Then these kids, yesterday out in, they was out there Friday, and one of the teachers told me, all the boys are cussing for some reason. And I mean, you're only talking about seven, eight-year-olds, right? They just cussing away. And I called all the boys over. I said, we don't use that language. Only stupid people use that kind of language. People who cannot speak correct English. And I said, only those ignorant people use 
profanity or cuss words. I said, you're intelligent. You're a smart young man. We don't use those type of words. And we're all just right there. But I could just imagine what them kids here at home. But then to challenge them to speak differently than what maybe mom or dad or boyfriend or girlfriend is speaking, that's a hard one. Because, see, if mom does it and dad does it, what am I going to do? It's right. Men, listen to me. You have a powerful influence upon your sons in everything in life, especially when it comes to being a man. You should be that prime example that he looks at and says, that's the kind of dad I want to be. That's the kind of husband I want to be. That's the kind of employee I want to be. He should be able to look at your life and say, boy, I want to walk in the same footsteps as my dad. That's important. And he says, examine yourself. Look at yourself. Examine yourself to see whether you are in what? The faith. Test yourself. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? A lot of people have prayed a prayer of Christ coming in. Some of them didn't mean a thing. It was just going through the motions. Others meant it, but they were like me. I'm at Billy Graham, and I prayed the first night, Lord, come into my heart. Lord, do this. Lord, do that. I'm back down there again the second night. Lord, come into my heart. Do this, do that. I'm back down there the third night. And the guy I met the first night, he asked me, what you doing back down here? I said, I'm waiting for Jesus to come in. Because I didn't understand it. I thought I would feel something. The stars would blink. The the sun would drop. Something would happen. And it took another man to explain to me, it's by faith. You believe it, and you start living it. Or what the Word tells you. And you have to examine yourself. Do you really believe? Is Christ really living in you? And if he is, what's the evidence of that? How do you know Christ is in you? How do you know what you believe is the right thing to believe? He goes on, he says, Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? Lord, what kind of test are you talking about? You take a test in algebra and you think you're somebody sharp in algebra, but you flunk it, it just told you that you wasn't too what? Swift in algebra. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. If you look at our life, you'll see that we haven't failed this test. Just look at our life. And you'll see that we haven't failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. Not that people will see that we have stood the test. Understand something. What people see about your life says something about the test. 
that Jesus is real in you or not. And he says, not the people will see that we have stood the test, but that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth. Well, you need to mark that word truth. But only for the truth. Paul can't do anything against the truth because the truth is dwelling in him. The spirit of truth is in him. The truth of the living God is in him. And Paul says, I can't do anything against the truth, but only for the truth because of the spirit of truth that lives in me. That dwells in me. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And our prayers is for your perfection. What is he praying for? You're not there yet. We're not there yet. Oh, Gus Brown got a lot of failure in my life. I had to sneak back upstairs this morning and say to Elaine, I went back upstairs to say, I'm sorry. I went back upstairs and said, are you all right? And sometimes for me, it's hard to say I'm sorry. Now, any of you like me, where it's difficult to say I'm sorry? Hmm. I wanted to make sure she was all right. Hmm. And that I'm all right when I come here. (laughs) And the whole process is, well, do you realize that Christ is in you? How many of you really realize that? Verse 8, we can't do anything against the truth. The truth will always stand. It will always stand. And in John fourteen seventeen, it says the spirit of truth. And Paul has that spirit of truth in him. He can't do anything against it. He can only do what is for it. He cannot fight against it. Now, The test. Let's go to Romans 8. Here here comes a little test. And you need to take the test. Starting in verse 9. From verse 9 to verse 17, eight verses, you're going to have eight ifs. Ifs are always a condition. Read that in your insurance policies. Read it in anything you put down. If you miss paying this on the 15th, 10 days later, you will be charged doom. If you miss three months of payments, doom. If this, that. If this, then this over here. Condition. He says... Boy, who's controlling you? So the first if comes in in verse 9. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by who? The spirit. Then there's the if. If the spirit of God lives in you. 
you have to ask, answer that question. Does the Spirit of God, does the Holy Spirit really dwell in you? Does he dwell in you? Is he making a difference in you? Is he teaching you? Is he making changes in your life? Is he convicting you of things of life? Is he correcting you in the mannerism of life and how you live? See, if the Spirit's in you, then he's in control of your life. Now, that doesn't mean somewhere in your life you're not out of control. But don't worry, he's coming after that too. Because his goal is to control everything in your life. That everything comes under the authority of Jesus Christ. Even your thought life is brought into captivity and under Christ. So, first question is simply this. Who's in control? You are in control, not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you. Second one. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. If you don't have the Spirit of Christ dwelling in you, you're not saved. You don't belong to Christ. You are not God's responsibility as far as taking care of you in every part of life. If the Spirit is not in you, you're not dying to yourself. For he says, but if Christ is in you, your body is dead. Or you're in that process of dying to yourself. That life is not about who? About you. But life really does become about him. And how you serve others. Whether it be those in your family, your neighbors, your co-workers. It's how you are now responding to others. And everything in life is not centered around you but around the purpose of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you're dying to yourself. And when you see yourself dying to yourself and you're not that old person you once were, then you really know it's the Holy Spirit doing it. Because in a very short time, when people try to change their habits, those habits sneak right back in. Pop right back up. But when God takes something from us and gives us something in its place, it's more permanent. Then he goes on a little further. And he says in verse 11, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he will raise Christ from the dead, will also give life to you. What is he going to do? He's going to give you life. What kind of life? A new life. A different life. 
If he can raise Jesus from the dead and you believe that he resurrected Jesus, he can resurrect you. He can give you a new life, a different life. If he's there. And the Holy Spirit is given to us for that purpose, to live in a newness of life. God doesn't save us and say, live the same old life you've been living. No, 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 no. He didn't save you and allow his son to shed his blood for you can continue on the path that you're on. No. He saves you for a purpose of radically changing your life. And how you think and how you see things, how you talk, things you do. If he can raise Jesus, he can raise you in newness of life. Then he says, or the next day, if you live according, if you live according, for if you live according to the sinful nature, you will what? You're going to die. You will not have this abundant life. You will not have this spiritual life. You will not have the life that God intended for you. You will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will what? Live. If you put to death the wrongful things of the body, of the flesh, if you put them to death, if you say no to them, you get them out of your life and you bury them, no more, no more, no more. See, one of the things that God had to do with me, and this is the worst place God could have put me in, in this kind of position, but he's also controlled the authority issue. Because I am, in a sense, an authoritarian. If I tell you to do something, I mean for you to do it, no question, no nothing. Do it. And yet, God took this authoritarianism and made it very gentle. To understand some people need time. Some people still growing. See, in Vietnam, I was a bad authoritarian. I'll shoot you and face the court-martial and prove that I was right by following the Articles of War. As far as I was concerned, I'm following these rules, and these rules were the rules. There's no grayness in the rules. I light you up. Because one thing, you on the left and you on the right on my firing team, I'm depending on you to keep me alive. You're depending on me to keep your life. No mistakes. Sometimes my kids, I think they thought I was too hard because I was authoritarian to a certain degree. I didn't like to say things two or three times. And sometimes they thought that I was mean. No, 
I had a job to do as a father. I was not their friend. I was their father. And I meant exactly what I said. And God had to teach me as being a foreman because when I was at Chrysler, there was a guy by the name of Brown, also Ron Brown, who they were interviewing for uh, a foreman in our department. And by mistake, they called me in, Brown. So my name Brown. Ronnie, you need to go, boom, 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 boom. And I went there. It wasn't no more than about two minutes. The people tell me what I'm there for. No, you got the wrong Brown. Because I've been and fired half the folks in Chrysler. Because <laughs> my training was on the outside in skilled trades. And when you were told to do something, it had to get done because we're on time and material. Roger was okay. I, I may not have fired him, but I laid him off for a while. <laughs> but, but the whole process is this here. God meddles us out. God changes our nature. God changes who we are. We put our misdeeds to death. Then the seventh one, if we are the children, do you know you really are a child of God? Now understand this. Every human being is not a child of God. Every human being is a creation of God. But everyone is not a child of God. You don't become a child until you go through the formality here of being adopted by God because you believe in him. And he says this, if you are a child. See, you, you may be your next door neighbor's child for a day or two. I mean, when my brother ran away from home and my mom was asking my dad, when you going to go get him? He just ran down. We lived on Packard. And he ran down the Cadillac Boulevard, and he was staying down there with his friends. My dad said, when they get tired of seeing his feet up underneath the table, then they'll send him home. See, the child is the responsibility of the parent, but not of the neighbor, but of the parent. And the parent for me is God. He says, if we are children, then we are heirs of all that God possesses and all that God has. And then the last if is this. If we suffer. If we share in the suffering. If we're not ashamed of God. If we're not ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will not be ashamed of us. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the gospel unto salvation. I'm not ashamed to say, I love the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed when we're out in public eating that, boy, we say our blessing. I'm not ashamed of owning up to Jesus. Now, do I go around every, oh, I love Jesus, oh, you need to know Jesus? No. But it's the way I conduct myself. 
And when God opens that door, he tells me to be ready in season and out of season to give an answer of the hope that lieth in me. I'm ready to speak when that door is open. I don't have to kick nobody's door down. But boy, when the opportunity is there, share it. And the very last is 15 and 16. If this has not happened to you, then I will say to you, go back. We used to call it tearing at the altar. You need to tarry with Jesus until you're sure. In the verse 15 and 16, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Is there something in you that you cry out to God? Is there something in you that wants to spend time with God? Every natural child wants to spend time with their father. Do you want to hang out with God? Do you want to spend time with him? Do you want to meet him in the morning? Close out your day with him? Do you want to be there? One of the ways I used to close out my day with my mom and dad, I go jump in the middle of the bed with them. <laughs> the way that boy we spent time with my dad, when we saw him boy coming in from Sarbley, he had his lunchbox, he always kept an apple, half an apple, half a sandwich, half of something, and the first one there got that. Yeah. Do you want to hang out with God? Is there something in you that says you want to be with God? If there's nothing there, then you need to ask, Lord, would you make me your son? Would you make me your daughter through Jesus Christ? Why? Listen to what it said here in 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our what? God has put a spirit in every person. Believer, non-believer, everyone has the spirit that the Holy Spirit can touch and speak to. Every one of us. And it's when that Holy Spirit touches your spirit and speaks to your spirit that you know, that you know, that you know you've been adopted and you are a child of the living God. Nobody has to convince you. Nobody has to tell you. It is something that takes place on the inside with your spirit, with the Holy Spirit, that announces that, yes, you've been accepted by God and that you are his child. And you know it. You know it. You know it. Amen? The Holy Spirit is our seal. And you've been sealed to the day of redemption if you have accepted 
this gospel of salvation. Oh, do we got to grow? You got some growing to do? Yeah. See? Joanna, do we got some growing to do? Yes. Not about our age. We got growing to do. And he says that he would work with me until I see Jesus face to face. When will I see Jesus face to face? When I'm no longer seen here, but seen there. He will work with us. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word and your richness of your word. And thank you, Lord, for the confidence that we can have in your word. And help each one of us, Lord, to truly examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith, to see if we're living in it, see if we're walking in it, see if we are habitating in the faith of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Are we dwelling there, staying there? Lord, would you help us, Lord, to examine ourselves? And Lord, would you show forth the proof of your seal that you have stamped us with your approval that we are your children by giving unto us the promise of the Holy Spirit? Would you allow your Holy Spirit to make himself very well known in our lives? that he would control our thoughts and he would tell us which thoughts to dismiss and which thoughts to put under the blood of Christ. That he would somehow, Lord, catch our words before they go out the gate and change those words. Would, would you allow us to see if we have some rough edges on us that, Lord, we can be gentle, we can be kind, we can hold somebody very precious and very frail in our hands as you permit us to. And we'll do them no harm. Would you show us, Lord, that you just want to open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out your kindness upon us that we might show kindness to others no matter how they treated us or what they've done? that we can be kind to them. And Lord, help us to understand this world we live in. That we might say, even as Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they do. Lord, grow us up. Minister to us. Because we are your children. And we've been stamped as your property and your possession. Lord, work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.